how long, how long are you there before um, you leave? So I have sex with him and then I, you know, put my clothes back on. Um, he says, you can go downstairs now. So I, I walk downstairs, spider walks me back to the car. We get in the car and I wait, I wait a few seconds and then I say, do I get to go home now? And he looks at me and he says, bitch, you are never going home. And in those moments, I knew I needed to try and run away now. Welcome to Game of Crimes. players, playwrights, dude, dudettes, amigos, amigas, everybody in between. This is going to be a special, special, and I do mean special episode. In fact, so special to the point we're cutting out a couple things because the serious nature of what you're about to hear, and all kidding aside, uh, we just thought it wouldn't be appropriate to have the kind of humor we normally do because this one is gut-wrenching. I'm just telling you that, Murph. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. But anyway, hey, welcome to Game of Crimes. Morgan Wright here. I am literally joined here. Well, I say literally. Joined literally with my partner in crime. <laughs> Steve Murphy. And you know me as Murph. Yeah, uh, so let's... You're, you, you're right, Morgan. This this is a very, very special interview. Uh, one of the longest. It's either the longest or the second longest we've ever done. But, but the topic is so critical for you to hear, uh, for you to share with your friends to learn from, to listen to this lady's heart-wrenching, horrific story. That's why we're, that's why we're forgoing all the other, you know, the silliness that we usually engage in, which we have fun with and we hope you enjoy. I know some of you don't, but hey, come on back and listen to us anyway. Yeah. Um, that's why we're going to forgo all that this morning. That's how important this topic is today. Well, and let's let's just do our quick housekeeping, and then we'll get to that. So, you know, real quickly, and especially after you hear this, go over to Apple, go over to Spotify, give us those five stars. It really helps out a lot, uh, especially, you know, getting this message today is one you're going to want to get out to people. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. You know, everything, we've got our book list out there. We just had Michael Franzese on. He's got six books plus wine, plus a lot of other stuff. So that's good stuff on there. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. And then also, you know, join us over on Patreon because uh, we have just got a ton of stuff on there. It's it's uh, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. I mean, again, we just like I said, we're probably glossing over a little bit because we want to get into this. You, it, yes. uh so let me just uh, get to that real quick. So, um, and also, you know, paypal.com, use our email, game of crimes podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash game of crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show. Now, uh, we do say this is a, you know, our standard disclaimer. This is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things. And this is definitely that story and bad people doing bad things to good people. This is definitely that story. You know, we take the story seriously. Um, you know, and Murph, you know, we don't take ourselves seriously, but in this one, right. this was a serious interview. Um, and I will tell you, after we got done, I mean, there were times we, I have not edited out the silence because you need to feel the impact that mm -hmm. this story had on Natasha telling it. We, we let it go. Um, we've done very little editing to this because of the raw emotion. And you're right, Steve, I was looking, I was trying to gauge it, but I think maybe next to Dave Reichert, when we talked about the Green River Killer, this is probably mm -hmm. our second to longest episode we've ever done. 
It is, and it's just so compelling. And I'm, I'm be honest with you, listeners, that during this interview, as she's telling her story, I'm wiping tears off of my cheeks twice. Um, it's just no human being. You've heard us tell horrific stories on here before, but no human being should go through what Natasha Herzig went through. And that's our guest today. Uh, you talk about innocence, innocence, stolen hope and despair or hope replaced with despair. But she overcame everything that was thrown at her. Um, and you can see you're going to hear what she's doing today. We're just so proud of her. It's a true honor to bring Natasha on, the, on today's Game of Crimes episode. Yeah, so um, we, we don't want to pontificate too much, but we will tell you that um, we're just going to keep it short, you know, in the intro part. We will get back to our regular stuff on episode 61. So there's a couple of stories I had teed up, small town police blotter, some of the folks on there that sent those stories in. Just know we're, we're saving those. They'll be on episode 61. And so, uh, again, we, we just don't even want to use our regular thing, you know, but, but this is, I mean, when we talk about the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, this was one of the most dangerous people. I think I've ever heard of in terms of what this guy did, how long he did it, how he got away, how he manipulated people. And and the, here's the here's the takeaway as you folks listen to this. Take away some of these lessons. Understand what these grooming behaviors are and what they do. We're going to get into a lot of this on the show. But I'm mm -hmm. telling you, as we're going through, you can see where they set things up. This guy, this bad guy sets things up only to rip all hope away from her, make her despair so much that she's got nowhere to go. And Steve, I think you said it right. If anybody ever says that prostitution is a victimless crime, mm. they need to be slapped. Well, just wait till you hear it and then you make your own decision. We don't want to yeah. tell you what to think, but I think you'll agree with us. Uh, and, and, and again, I said it once, but this is how important it is. Please, after you listen, share this with friends because we need to get the word out on this to as many people, not just in the United States, but worldwide as we can. Uh, the things you're going to learn today and, and you'll be able to go to our show notes and see websites that you can go to to learn more about what we're going to talk about today. So please, 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 please share with all your friends. I'm telling you right now, I've, I've already spoken to one of my daughters and I'll speak to the other one today. They are going to listen to this episode because it could affect them. Yeah. So uh, without our usual ado, let's just get into it. So um, stay tuned, guys. This is going to be a two-parter. Both of them are going to be a couple hours long, but trust us, mm -hmm. it is well worth the listen. Apologize, like I say, for the editing because we're keeping things raw so you 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 understand what it was like to feel this story as we were feeling it, as we were hearing it. So um, we'll just get into it, Steve, and then we'll come back on the outro and engage everybody. So, all right, so let's roll uh, part one with Natasha Herzig and her journey through 15 years that it took her for this thing to resolve. One of the worst human trafficking cases I've heard of. So here comes here the episode. This, if judging by just the initial volley that was launched at me and Murph by our next guest, this is going to be, she said, I thought I was, you know, we said you did great. You know, you got everything lined up. She said, oh, that's okay. Cause I thought I was old, but then I see you guys and you guys are really old. So <laughs> she was talking about you, Morgan, not me. I still got all, look at this. I still have all my hair. Hey, anyway, before we get too far, this is a special episode. Um, and Murph, I'll let you tee it up because you, you really helped uh, pull this one together. Yeah, our guest today is a little different than what we usually bring on to, to our listeners here in the fact that we bring on law enforcement. Uh, well, this lady was involved in law enforcement. Uh, you're not going to believe the story she's, she's going to tell us today. But 
it starts from the point of being a victim. So it's it's such an honor to meet Natasha Hersig and welcome you on the show. I had the opportunity to meet Natasha in San Diego several years ago at a at a law enforcement conference that she was speaking at as well. It's the Southern California Gang Conference that you guys have heard Morgan and I talk about. Uh, her story is compelling. If you've got dry eyes, then you're not listening. Uh, when she gets to the end of her story, it's, it's one of motivation. It's one of stamina. It's one of, I'm not going to let the son of a bitch get me down. This girl, and, and I will call you girl because you are so much younger than we are. Uh, <laughs> and that, that translates to the lady. This lady stood up for doing what's right. I can't tell you how proud I am of you, Natasha. So welcome, welcome, welcome to Game of Crimes. Well, thank you all for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know it's a tough topic, but it's a topic that needs to be talked about. And I'm ready whenever y'all are. You got to love that right there. Right there. She's not going to shy away from anything. How long ago did you move from Arizona to Texas? Eight months. And you're already saying y'all. Look at that. Okay, y'all. Thanks. (laughs) You already got the Texas draw going. Well, she knew, she knew well, I would understand that. Well, when I say that. you all or you guys, yeah. people are like, we don't say that here. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what do we what do we say, y'all? I'm like, okay, so we just put you all together. I can y'all. do that. I can, you do, can that. do that. Good for you. Hey, well, Natasha, as we do with everybody, um, we want to... We want to start at the beginning, and with you, it's a little different because this is not about how you got into law enforcement, but it's really talking about how you're growing up and the things you got into that lead to our story today. So, you know, just to give us a little bit of background. I mean, we don't need to go back to you. You know, I was a babe in swaddling clothes, but, yeah. uh, to, you know, my first, I remember my first, uh, you know, but it was more like, you know, basically tell us about like where you grew up, you know, what was family like, you know, give us a, give us a snapshot in time of what things were like for you growing up up as a young girl? Okay. So I grew up in a middle upper class family. I went to private school. I have, I have a younger brother. Uh, my parents, you know, were married for over 38 years. I Where was this, this at? You say you grew up, where'd you grow up at? In like central in, uh, like the, well, I went to school in Santa Cruz County, but, um, like in Monterey County, California. Yes, sir. And, um, just to me, it was your normal your normal life. I was a, you know, missionary when I was 16, um, in a different country. I did cheerleading, uh, swimming. I was involved in school. I got good grades. Um, my brother was a football player. We really, you know, I had no childhood trauma to talk about. If anything, um, you know, I probably didn't even understand there was anything bad that existed outside of my world. It was just, you know, it wasn't till when I got back from being a missionary at 16 that I was like, oh my gosh. Like, Well, let's talk the- about that. You don't mm-hmm. say again, we have people, they want to gloss over, oh, it's a missionary at 16, went to a foreign country. Yeah. Now let's, let's rewind a <laughs> little wanna bit. Know. We want to know. So first of all, um, how did you get into, you said, so you said missionary. So what was your church and how did you get into, end up being a missionary? And then tell us about the country. Was it picked for you? Did you pick it? you know, where did you go? What were you doing? So let, let's talk about that missionary work. So because I went to a private school, it was a Christian school. Um, 
our science teacher, he, he would take groups through his church with his wife to, um, to different countries and they were missionaries and they asked, you know, they would ask students, would you like to go on these mission trips? And they worked with deaf kids and we would be at deaf orphanages. So we would go through this training program and we learned sign language and we got all of our shots and they prepared us to go to this different country. And, you know, I look back, um, it was Jamaica that we, that we had went to. And I look back and I, I laugh with my parents because I'm like, how could you have thought it was safe? Because I remember, you know, we had to smuggle in our Bibles. Our bus got pulled over. And I remember um, him, this, our science teacher standing up and being like, no one tell them why we're here. And, you know, I, you know, in the moment, I'm just like, you know, I'm going with it. Like, oh, this is fun and exciting. Don't gloss over (laughs) that. Let's talk about that bus getting stopped. So were were these, I mean, uh, because we know that they've got the posse over there. We know there's a lot of, there were a lot of drug and marijuana smuggling. Tell us about the circumstances of your bus getting pulled over. What, what was, you know, time of day, time of night? Give us, give us some detail here. This is like a, this is like a movie, you know. <laughs> no. So it's, I mean, I, I don't feel like it's a movie. It's just my life, right? But of course I, I do laugh about it now, but it, it is quite serious because I wonder what my parents were thinking. Um, and so we, we, it was probably just gotten from the airport. We got on this white bus, you know, it wasn't like a school bus or anything. It was literally like this white bus. Um, we get in the bus and it's driving and we're on these dirt roads because we were staying, um, because we were there for a few weeks, we were staying at some deaf orphanages, but then we stayed in some huts because we built a water system for a local village. So we were really, really out in the middle of nowhere. So we're, we're, um, on the bus and all of a sudden I had no idea we were getting pulled over. I'm not understanding what's happening. And the teacher stands up and he's like, okay, I just want to let everyone know. We're not going to tell them why we're here. We're visiting. We're on this field trip. And that's what our story was. But I had already realized it when we had to smuggle in our Bibles. I had already realized that, you know, kind of like, oh, we're not supposed to. And just the way they had us dress and the rules that they'd given us that, you know, when, when it goes dark, when the sun goes down there, if you are walking on certain streets, you are, were considered a woman of the night. So by the time it started getting dark, you know, we had to go into this compound that we were staying in at, at one of the deaf orphanages. So, you know, you, as an adult reflect back and think like, wow, this, this is some crazy stuff. But in the moments as a child, you're just really going with it. Like, you know, this is, cool and interesting. Did, and, they, you did know, they get on the bus and search it or anything or take you guys off the bus? What happened there? I remember he got off the bus and he was talking to them and he was standing in front of the bus door and one tried to come in and he kind of went to the side. Like, I don't, you know, this is a bus full of kids. Like I really, you know, what kind of threat could we possibly be? And then one just gets up, kind of peeks his head and looks at all of us and then steps off. And then that was, that was the end of it. Did you guys fly into Kingston? I'm assuming so. Um, you know, this this was 25 years ago. So I'm I'm assuming so. Were you guys um, up in the mountains? Is that where you stayed? I don't know if we were in the mountains. I remember like uh, dirt villages and it was a place that the locals called the bush. So 
that's where we we would go. I mean, we were going back. We were going to the bathroom like outside. We were staying in these huts. Definitely um, not we, the Sandals Resort there in Jamaica. So. Um, no, no, <laughs> no. So it's so funny when people go. You know, I just I have a I have a couple of friends. They went for their anniversary and they say Jamaica and they just describe this place. And all I am is like. Why would you, what, what, don't you, I know what the Jamaica I know about. And so, I mean, I've never gone back there on vacation. I mean, I, I know the struggles that country has and I know we were there for good and we did good for, for them. And so, How but long it really did you changed stay? me. How long were you there? I want, I want to say maybe, maybe a month, maybe a month, and but you said it, it changed, changed me. you. How, yes. how did it change you? Let's put it this um, way. Going down there, what kind of person were you coming out? What kind of person were you? In other words, do, did it change you how you thought? Did it change, uh, uh, you know, your perception of things? You know, wh what changed for you? Well, you know, you have to understand you have this private school girl who the majority of people, you know, have money. We, we live a certain type of lifestyle. And you go to a country and you realize people don't live like you. Like these are children like who do not have water and we are trying to build a water system for their village. You have children that are touching your hair and looking at you because I'm blonde and I have blue eyes and this is something they've never seen. And I'm, I'm holding them and I'm, they're, you know, four years old, but I feel like they're what a two-year-old would you know, as tiny as a two-year-old. And so you're, they're just so grateful and happy and so appreciative to have you and have just this, just this love that we're trying to offer them. And, you know, they would host us in their homes for dinner and we would get spread up. It would be one, a boy and a girl, and we all got sent out and we would have dinner in their, in their huts and they would make us traditional dinners. And they were just so happy to have us. They put on a perform, their village put on a performance for us. The kids had practice. Like it just, you know, I mean, it just changed me in so many ways. And I remember, and I do all, I do contribute part of my thought process of how I ended up kidnapped to how I felt when I got back from Jamaica in the sense that I was like, holy crap, there's so much more out there in this world that I want to see and do. Like th this, this life I'm living is like, boring and nothing and how fulfilled I was when I got back and how it changed me. And my mom even said, you know, she goes, you were a little depressed when you got back, you know, and it was because I'm, my life changed. And then I'm doing all these things and I'm witnessing and realizing as a child, what it is like to give back instead of just always, you know, receive. And I'm like, what, what, what am I doing? What is this? Like, this is my life. Like what I could be out there doing so much more. Did you, when you were down there, did you try the jerk chicken? Was that one of the I dishes? I did. So that is my favorite seasoning to <laughs> this day. Really? Just so you know. Oh my yes. gosh. That's the yes. hottest. Those Scotch bonnet yep. peppers, that's the hottest They have some ever. of the best food I have ever had. Was there anything down. you wouldn't eat? So one of, you know, one of the things was, is when we were sent by ourselves, myself and one of the boys in our, in our uh, mission group, you know, cause they did a boy and a girl. And I remember we were in this, you know, in their home, which like is like a hut. And we're told you must eat everything on your plate. It is rude 
do not, you know, embarrass us. So you need to eat everything. And I remember they had like skinned something that was furry and they were like cooking it. And I just looked at the boy I was with and I was like, you know, we have to eat this, right? Like, and you know, it could have been, uh, some sort of goat or something. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. We ate it, you know, I mean, I, we're kids. We're just doing what we're told. <laughs> did you get sick at all down there? I did. I did. So we were, um, we were like at a, like a, like a retreat where we were all singing and stuff like that. And we were in literally the bushes. And I went to my teacher and I said, I feel really, really sick. And it was right. It was probably a day or two before, like right when we had got there. And other kids started, you know, I mean, this was kind of, it went through all of us type thing, just that adjustment probably. Right. Um, and he handed me a roll of toilet paper and said, go, go there behind that bush. And, <laughs> and I did and, fertilize the know, country. Yeah. I mean, you just, it's, you just, you know, you do what you have to do. And I, I mean, even though we have like, you know, stories like that. It was just one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And I'm so blessed to even have experienced something like that. Um, I do ask my parents what they were thinking, knowing (laughs) how we were smuggling things into that country, but you know, well, see, that was the difference. Most, most people down there smuggle things out of that country. Right. <laughs> and they're not Bibles. Right. right. No, right, right, right. But the people were just wonderful. The whole experience, you know, and I'll be honest with you, you know, where I went to school, there was only a certain demographic and color, and it just exposed me to a whole different culture and different people and just the beauty um, that God has created just in the world for all of us. Well and and it, it just changed me. Well just said. changed me. Very well. Oh, yeah. I, I remember as a Ute, uh, my dad was Army, and before we went to Iran, he went to the language school, which is not too far from Monterey, California. Yeah, DLI. Yeah. She even knows the acronym. There you go, Defense <laughs> Language Institute. Yes. There is a picture of my oldest sister, me, I'm the middle child, and my youngest sister. We're actually on the rocks facing the water. My dad actually, I think, won a photography contest with that, but that was, oh. uh, so yeah, years, it was, this is before you were born, so Going with the old jokes again. Um, uh, you, yeah. know, you know when he, named, he titled that picture the three girls? <laughs> yeah, Mark, remember, I can edit you out of this complete podcast. Oh, my goodness. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, hey, now, was that the only mission trip you ever took? I did. Yes, that was because I remember when the net, when my – was it my junior? I think it was my senior year that came around when he, the science teacher asked me again, you know, do you want to go back? And I had to make the choice between that and, uh, cheerleading because we were doing competitive cheerleading at the time. And I, I remember we were, I remember exactly where we're at. We were where, where on campus we were at when he came to talk to me at lunchtime. And I had to really, really make that decision. And I, I chose competitive cheer and, um, I will say cheerleading was my, it just, I loved it. I loved every moment of it, everything about it. So let's talk yeah. about competitive. So see, to me, I'm, 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 I grew up in a small town too. So our cheerleaders were like, you know, there wasn't too much competitive. What is it about? Cause I've seen some of the, I have seen some of the routines on, you know, they've had it, held it down to Disney and I am amazed at just the precision and stuff. So what, what was it? What is it about competitive cheerleading that drew you to it? Just, 
everything. I mean, the adrenaline rush, the being out there cheering, like getting the crowd excited, like, you know, you're, you're just giving off this energy and the crowd is enjoying it. And you're just, um, you know, it's faster to me than like ballet or dance. Like, you know, my parents, my mom, I lasted one day in ballet and I remember being like, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a fairly tall, um, lean woman. And so people always think I'm a dancer or a runner. And I'm like, my, so I'm sure everyone is like, go put your daughter in ballet. And I lasted one day, walked out, looked at my mom and was like, I cannot do this. It's like, no, this is not for me. You know, and I come from this whole like prim and proper community and demographic and family. And I looked at her and I was like, I want to go do what my brother's doing, which he was doing karate. And so him, he, him and I did karate for years. I mean, we were winning grand champions at tournaments, my brother and I, and, um, like that, that to me is faster pace. And it was, it's much more exciting than, I don't know. Dancing around on your toes on those shoes and executing. Which really does take a lot of work. To me, it is, you have to be completely athletic. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying when you see what they do, you see the Bolshoi ballet, you see some of the professionals. Yes. They are, I mean, there is a lot of effort that goes into it, but I agree with you. I love the music and stuff. I was a music major in college, so I love the music. But to me, yeah, that seems slightly boring. It's like twist around and then, you know. I just need more. I need more like just... It's like when I work out, I want to do the kickboxing stuff. I don't want to just like I, I need exciting. You just want to knock just, the snot out of somebody. That's yeah, what you got like to I, I mean, I guess. I mean, <laughs> why why go learn to dance if you can kick somebody's butt, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Unless you're Mikhail Barishnikov. See, there's a, I, I know some names from the uh, dance. Yes. I, I'm well versed. Uh, unlike Murph, <laughs> who, you know, we can't get past. Uh, Uh, you know, some West Virginia music. So dueling banjos, you know, and uh, all that good stuff. So anyway, I digress. So, hey, but very much so. Yeah, very much so. But so by the time, what were your plans then going out of high school into college? So did you know specifically what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go? Well, I knew I wanted to be a communications major, like going to journalism. Like, I mean, if you read my yearbook, it talks about, you know, I know we're going to see you on the news one day type of stuff. Like I was, that, that was me, right? Like I was that girl. And, um, so I knew I wanted to do communications. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Um, but it was obviously going off to college, like everyone else did in, in my, uh, in my school, like that, that's our thing. I mean, which, which um, school, which school would you have gone to or did you, which school were you talking about going to for communications? I don't know. Um, I know that we were looking at one in Arizona at, uh, at ASU. And then, um, I was also looking at, I think I wanted to go to Fresno state just because it's like, you know, people knock Fresno. I mean, well, it's kind of my, you know, my thing. I, I like it out there, but I've always liked more of the country, um, that kind of feel, I guess, you know? Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just a kid, you know, cheerleading, doing my thing and going to Jamaica and hiding out in the bushes with a roll of toilet yeah, paper, you know, exactly. <laughs> hey, Hey, before we get, I don't, before we get into the story, I do kind of want to bookend it. Cause I want to let people kind of know where we're going. So 
before, and, and you kind of threw out the word, and I don't want to dive into it yet. You said the kidnapping, but before the whole process started that got you involved in that, where are we at in terms of the timeline before you actually start getting into the process that led to the story we're going to talk about? Okay. So part part of this whole struggle that I that I had when I was graduating high school was that after Jamaica, I was like, maybe I want to do something else. Like maybe there's something else, you know, out there for me. Like I was looking, I was throwing out the Peace Corps to my parents and that was, that was an absolute no, but I was looking into things like that. Like how could I go out there and, and just really just, I don't know, it's just something that changed in me. I have no idea. I can't explain it. And, um, so the compromise was community college until, until I would go off to four year. That was a compromise with my parents. Um, so I had been in my first semester of college. So I was 18. Um, when kind of, I, when I was at the mall and this kind of all started. Okay. So, so we're very close to that point now is what you're talking about. So, and you know, why, was it was it simply that trip to Jamaica that, like you said, opened your eyes? Because it seemed to me, and it, look, when you say demographic, you know, we're talking about in that area of California, a lot of people were white, middle, upper class, you know, doing very yes. well. There were a yes. lot of things expected of you, like you would be expected to go to get out of high school, go to yes. college, do things like that. But did this, was it just this trip or was there anything else that changed uh, in you that you said, hey, there's, there's got to be more to this world because being insulated, which is really kind of what it was here in that area. And now you go to Jamaica and you see, uh, I mean, people living in huts, you know, yes. sharing with you the last bits of food they have yes. to be guests. Was it just the mission trip or did that, were there other things that happened during that time that changed your perspective? I think maybe that trip helped me realize it, but I had always been, um, the child that was independent and, um, not afraid to go and want to explore that. Like even, even at this age, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very like, okay, if, if with my husband's job, they're going to move us to, you know, St. Thomas, let's figure it out. Like I, I am okay exploring new cultures and new things. So kind of like Robert Frost, you're one of those people that take the road less traveled. Maybe. I don't know. I just feel like... See, I'm, I'm trying to be just very philosophical here to make it sound it really cool before works. we get into the story. Yeah. It just... Now, tell us though about the dynamics of the family. Mother, father, uh, okay, and you yes, said sir. brother. Uh, older yes. brother, younger brother. How were so things in there? So I have a younger brother that's 18 months younger than me. We have always been very close. You know, he was on... when Whenever we did things, it was like a group of us. Like my cheerleader friends, his football players. We'd go to the lake. We'd go wakeboarding, tubing, um, you know, skiing during the winter, snowboarding during the winter. Um, you know, our house was kind of just the, the, you know, everyone loved my parents, you know, we, we had that, that good family. Nobody. Are you the oldest then? Yes. All right. So just you and your brother for kids. So, um, let's, let's talk about then, then you're, you're going to community college. So, Let's now start talk about this because really the kind of the reason I wanted to set the stage is 
you know, and before we do this, rate, rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 in terms of when you, when you enrolled in community college on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're totally, I mean, one being you're totally naive, 10 is that, or I mean, one is that you've got the world by the shoulders and, uh, you know, and 10 is you're totally naive. Where are you at on the naive, naivety scale when you went to community college? I mean, I don't really know. I felt, I mean, it's like everyone. You're 18 and you think you know everything type of thing, but you don't. um, But looking back on it, rather than your state of mind, then looking back on it, how naive were you about the world when you went to community college? I would just put myself in the middle, like a five. Like, Like going through it, um... You know, but even in Jamaica, when I should have been scared at certain points, I wasn't. So, and part of that is naivety to what that bigger picture could have been, right? Like, well, um, and as a younger person, you're more adventuresome where you don't let things like that wear you down. It's like, all right, let's just see what happens. Let's try and see what, where we go. Yes. Yeah, See, at my age now, it's like something shows up. It's like, who the hell are you? Why are you at my house before yeah. when you're 18? It's like, hey, come on in. Let's have a party. You yeah. know? What are you ringing my doorbell for? Get out of here. I know. I feel the same way. I put a welcome sign out front, and one of my girlfriends drove by and said, that's very unlike you. Why did you put that welcome <laughs> sign out? My so I took, it, I took it back in. Took it back in. All right. So now, you, now you're starting community college, um, and, and let's start this journey now because when we say it's a journey, it's a journey of about 15 years um, to get to resolution. So how does this journey start for you? What 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 is going on? What is happening that now starts putting you uh, in the crosshairs of this, uh, of this, of these people? So I, you know, I'm just living my life. I'm, you know, doing what I do, going to school, um, just kind of, I think just trying to manage what I felt to be, is this all life is about, to be honest with you. And I think that struggle in itself was also what contributed to being like, if something exciting comes along, I'm going to take it because. Were you unhappy at that time or were you happy when you started community college? I I felt like I was happy. I had no reason not to be happy. That's for sure. I think you know, there's just always been a part of me that was like, is this really what life is? Is this really what life is all about? Like we all go to school, we all live this boring life. Like, is that, is that really what we're like, what we do? It's why I so bad wanted to join the Peace Corps. It's why I so bad wanted to leave. I, I wanted to go do something good, like go to school for myself or go and give back, you know, like what, what in the, what in the world? Like, well, the, the reason you know? I'm asking that is, it, trust me, there's a path to this too, because what I want people to understand is that I wanted to, I want them to see you in the light that these guys saw you in to determine how they target people, what they look for, the types of questions and conversations they have with you. So all of these things kind of factor into that because what we're talking about is grooming. They start looking at people, they ask certain questions, they want to know certain things. And if you fit into their profile, then you start becoming susceptible to what it is they want to do. So that's why I'm asking, you know, were you happy? You know, were things good? Were you, I mean, it sounds like what you're doing is trying to figure out what you wanted to be when you grew, when you grew up. Um, but it sounds like Jamaica really exposed you and you had this, like, you felt, you didn't feel satisfied that what you were doing was what you wanted. That's not the path you wanted to take. So it's kind of like you said, you're adventurous, you know, want to see things. So I'm just trying to paint a picture 
is that if I'm sitting there looking at you now at a, you know, at a mall or something else, what do I see in that person when I see them? So I think part of it is the expectation of where I come from and what I was supposed to be and how my heart wasn't there. And what were you supposed to be? I mean, let's talk about that. What, what, if, if you had, if you, if it, things had gone according to plan, you know, Monterey County plan, what would you have been doing? What was expected of you? You know, I would have graduated college, ended up on Fox news and gotten married, had children and went on my boring married life. Now, is it currently boring? Should we talk to your no, husband? No, <laughs> but I have, I have lots of excitement in my life now, once we get into my whole life story, yeah. but you know, that, that is what your expectation in that demographic is they give you, it's, it's given to you by society. It's given yeah. to you by society. So there is this expect, expectation that we have that, okay, you look like this. This is what you do. This is how you do it. This is what you do next. Right. And I, you know, it's, you rejected the mold is what you did, right? You rejected this mold and. Oh, there's been plenty of times where I've gone in to do something or I've done something and people have told me, um, but you look like that. You don't have to. What do you mean by that? Um, going in for my law school interview and getting called into the office and the, um, admissions counselor saying, Oh, we were just discussing how pretty you are. Like, why would you need to go to law school? Are you kidding? Hmm. How long ago was that conversation? Well, we can get into that for sure. That, that was, uh, maybe six years, six, seven years ago. Okay. Um, and so, so what you're saying is that people stereotyped you and saying, Oh no. In other words, they equated you being pretty with not being smart. I don't know if I ever felt like they thought I wasn't smart, but more so like, this is the box you go in. This is what you do. Um, you know, even when I, when I went back to school, when I went back to get my college degree, it was, why would you want to do that? You're married, you have a daughter, you have a good life. Your husband makes good money. And I'm thinking like, this is the problem. Like, why, why can't I do why am I, why is society holding everyone to these standards of what, you know, you look a certain way, so that's what you should do. You look a certain way, so that's what you should do. You come from this part of town, so this is what you should do. So I struggled with that even at that age. It's like, what is this expectation of I'm supposed to be on the news? Is that what I want? Do I want to be the news reporter? Like, is, is that what I want? No, I want to go and help people. But that, that didn't fit. It didn't fit what society wanted me to do. And I struggled with that. And, um, you know, I looked a certain way and, you know, part, part of it is when you just look like this nice all American girl, people don't expect much from you, you know? And it sounds like too, what you were, what you had, and that's, this is what the good stuff we're getting at, what you had buried basically below the surface was a sense of adventure. You wanted to be more than what people expected you to be. And so if you're, so if I'm sitting here thinking about how would I start grooming somebody like you, it's to offer you opportunities, to offer you to see the world. It's to offer you exciting things that fit into what you want to do, not what society thinks for you. And and these are key things that when parents are talking to kids, 
and this is part of this ongoing lesson we're going to have here is when you're talking to your kids, these are the things they need to work out for, you know, look out for. So, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about that initial, that initial meet, the initial thing that started Contact. everything going. So I was at the mall and I was just looking through clothes and stuff like that. And this lady approaches me and, you know, I don't know if she'd been following me, if she'd been there a long time, I really wouldn't have cared in the moment. She complimented my makeup. I kind of was like, oh, okay, thank you. Really wasn't anything, you know, I wasn't too interested in her. She said, you know, we, I ha we have this uh, makeup company. You'd be doing makeup for fashion shows and, you know, just things all over. You travel a lot. And so it, my normal 18-year-old self kind of took her card, dismissed her, was like, whatever, lady, I'm busy. Um, I didn't really take much yeah, let's, let's, let's not go too far past that. Let's talk about that initial, because this is the initial approach and, and that what the, and using a woman as opposed to a guy lowers your defenses because now yes, you're talking course. to another woman. Um, how was the approach made? In other words, um, was it just like bump into you? Was it like, uh, you said she paid you a compliment. Let's dive into a little bit about that initial contact about how that went. She just, you know, hi, how are you? And I'm just like, hi. You Describe know, her for us too. Was she was did she look like she belonged in that store? Did she look like she belonged in that area? Yes. I by no means was like, oh gosh, what 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 is this right here? I was not feeling that way. It just was an attractive woman who was talking to me about my makeup and you know told me you know she liked my makeup and um you know what was interesting about that is that you know um I would do makeup for friends all the time. In fact, my dad's secretary, when she went to a wedding, I was in high school and I, she paid me to do her makeup. Like I was the makeup and hair girl, you know, that was my thing. And, um, so for her to compliment my makeup was just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like, and again, people were like, you should do hair and makeup. I'm like, again, I don't want to do hair and makeup. Like th this is like, what are we not getting? And so when I, when she complimented me, I heard her out with the whole, you know, this is what they do, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh, really? And let me ask you a bunch of questions. Like I took her card. I, you know, honestly, I didn't think I'd ever contact her. I mean, was it, it just a very low key approach? In other words, no additional pressure to follow up. Just like, Hey, if you're interested, no, not at all. Nothing, here's the card. Nothing. Right. Yeah. If, if I would have felt pressure, like just in general, my personality is very, it would be like, no, well, now I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? Like even when somebody's trying to be my friend, I get very freaked out. So for anybody trying to put any type of like, hey, 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 I would absolutely run in the opposite direction. So there's nothing so, about this lady that, that's suspicious at all, the way she's dressed. No, nope. Nothing. Let's flashy. talk about. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your awareness, though. Um, did you see her before she approached you, or did she approach you, and that's the first time you remember seeing her? I don't remember ever seeing her, but, you know, I I wouldn't be on the lookout for anybody or anything. I would be engrossed in shopping and worrying about what I think is cute. Like, what am I going to buy? Did you watch her as she left, though? Did any of that pique your interest? Do no, you remember? I dis I was dismissive of her. I was dismissive of her. So I really didn't pay her any attention when she gave me her card and she walked away. I just went my own, my own way. I mean, I just, and after whatever, that lady. contact that day, did you ever see her again anywhere else in the mall no. talking to anybody else? Nope. Okay. Nope. Cause it would be, it would be a few weeks 
when I see her card on my dresser and I decide to make the phone call. So let's talk about that now too. So why, first of all, if you were dismissive of her, why'd you keep the card? I don't know. I had set it on my dresser and, you know, never really gave it much thought until I saw it. And I just was like, what's it going to hurt to call and see what this is all about? You know, and the whole don't tell your parents until you have something truly you need to tell them. That's what she said or that was your your thinking? My thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, was there anything that happened as kind of a, a precursor to that? Like was there – did you have a falling out at college or did you decide this is not what I want to do? Or was it just simply looking at the card one day and it triggered you go, um, you know, what can it hurt? Right. I'm looking at the card. I remember I was walking out of my bedroom and I was like, oh, there's that lady's card. What, why don't I give it a call? So what'd you do? So I called her and she said, that's fantastic. She said, why don't you, why don't you. When you called her though, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in because I kind of want to walk through this because I want everybody to understand the sophistication of what's going on. Was it a business that answered? Did it go directly to her? What was. It uh... went straight to her. Okay. And if I remember correctly, again, this was. 20 years ago, if I remember correctly, it was like makeup ink. If I, if I remember correctly, um, that's what I think it was. And when she answered the phone, that's what she said it was. And then, um, you know, she said, Oh, we've been expecting your call. We're so happy you called. And I was like, well, what's this all about first? Like, you know, like, tell me like, did you give her your name at the, at the mall when you met the first time? I think I did. Maybe. I think I did. I know that I must have because she said we were expecting your call. So obviously, um, but, and, and I had told her my name was Tasha. Even I, I do go by Natasha, but back then I was, I always went by Tasha. And, um, so I, I must have, because then she, when she said she was expecting my call, I was like, Oh, I was like, you remember me? Cause I remember saying that, like, how could you remember me? Like this has been a few, it's been a few weeks. You know, I didn't say that to her, but I'm, I'm feeling this way. And, um, she said, we, I'd love for you to meet the owner of the company, you know, go in a, uh, you know, go in, meet with him. Um, and I was like, oh, I was like, you're, you know, you're not the owner. And she's like, no, no. She's like, that's, you know, like I'm, I'm the partner. And I was like, oh, I'd be meeting somebody else. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, okay. So what? you know, what's this, what do I do now? And she gave me an address and it was in the city in uh, San Francisco. And so how far away from San Francisco were you at this time? Like two, two and a half hours. Okay. So you had to make a, you had to make a drive to get there. Well, I, I mean, I didn't really feel, I mean, we, I, we went to the city a lot, so I guess I didn't, I didn't really feel like it was too, too far. Um, but when, as I'm talking to her and she's telling me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be go meeting with this thing. All I could think about is what the heck am I going to tell my parents? Because they are not going to be down for this at all. And you're living at home at this point, right? Yes. Yes. You know, I had, I had been in college one semester at junior college. Did you have your own car? Yes. Okay. So you're mobile. I mean, and you so, can do things, but you still got to check in with your parents. I'm leaving for the this, night. I'm going to be gone. 
yeah, yeah. And, and I had always had this open relationship with my parents, this honest relationship. So it, it was difficult to get myself to get to this point to be like, you have to, you know, you're going to have to get away with this because I've never, I never really like if my brother and I wanted to go to the beach and didn't want to go to school, like we wanted to skip school, my parents were cool with it. We'd be like, Hey, we're going to go do this. So I never really had to have this, you know, Oh gosh, don't tell our parents we're going to a party. Like my parents weren't going to, you know, have some freak out or say no, you know? Um, so my next step as I, as she's telling me to go to the city is freaking out more so like what, how am I going to keep this for my parents? Because I already know my dad's upset with me for just wanting to go to junior college. So to even present to him the idea that I would possibly not be going to school and I'm just going to go do makeup. Like I already knew what, I already knew what that would, what, what kind of consequences that would bring. So, you know, she's talking to me and I'm starting to realize like this, this is, I I don't know how I'm going to get away with this. Like, I'm not saying that, but I'm feeling that way. And so she tells me, gives me the address. I write it down. Right. And she's giving me directions. And, um, so I, I get off the phone with her. We, well, we had made a time, a time to do this. And I'm like freaking out now because now I'm like, what, what the heck am I going to tell my dad? Right. So like, this is legit a situation. And so I decide I'm not going to tell my parents. And so my, you know, my parents weren't keeping tabs on me. There was no reason to, I'd never done anything to not have their trust. So I, I leave and I go to the city on the date that was, that was scheduled and it was during the day and I walk into literally an office building, like as if you're going to walk into the dentist, to walk into, you know, the doctor's office or, you know, an office and that I get greeted by her and I get taken to this, this back room. And it's, he's in this office and he's sitting there and he stands up and he shakes my hand. I was like, hi, I'm Tasha, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it's so great to meet you. And we sit down and he just starts asking me questions. And I, you know, as he's asking me, I'm like, you know, I've never really had a job before. So let's, let's roll back before you do that. When you say he's just describe, I want to, I want to get into a little bit more. When you say you walked into this office, is this like one story, two stories? Is it one of the big buildings in San Francisco? I mean, um, I would say medium building, medium building, medium building. Like it's not this huge skyscraper. It's not this one story. I don't even think if San Francisco even has a one story at this point, but probably not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, to me, just uh, a nondescript you know. office building. One of, one of many in downtown area, yes. right? Yes. But yes. it was in the downtown area, not a scuzzy part of town. I felt like more on the outskirts. Okay. Maybe. Um, the thing about the city is even the good parts can look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. I've walked around Over San Francisco down. before. I mean, you turn the corner, yeah. it goes from nice to what am I doing yeah. here? Um, yeah. But when they walked in, was there a receptionist? Did, were they waiting for you in the lobby? Um, you know, how did that how did that initial meet she, happen? When I walked in, she was already there, that lady that I had met at the mall. Okay, and then she walks you back to an office. Um, yes. Was it? Were tell us about the office though. So you walked in. Does it look like it's like uh, you're expecting it like to be an office of makeup ink? Like there's some fancy stuff, posters. Describe the office for us. 
So he's, he, he gets up. He does not look like the scary, creepy guy that one would think when you're thinking that this is all going to not end well. And so what, before you walk in, there was makeup chairs with like, like makeup booths, like, you know, with the mirrors, with the makeup lights and everything. So there was a few of those. And so, I mean, it looked like a whole makeup setup. So I'm, why would I think anything else? So yeah, you know, I mean, they're putting on the appearance to make you to kind of lower your level of inhibition, you know, to, to, to make you feel less anxious about being there. So you think that, okay, this looks like makeup ink. So when you said he started asking you questions, what were the nature of the questions? What was he interested in right from the start? Like job related questions. And so that's my response. I was freaking out because I'm like, I've never had a job because he was like, Hey, we have this application, Right. So he's like, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And so I'm like, I'm Tasha. I'm, you know, I'm 18, blah, blah, blah. Right. Just my normal, like I'm in junior college and, um, you know, I'm just interested to see what this is even all about. And he goes, okay. He goes, why don't we have you at least fill out an application? And so he, he puts the application across the table to me. And then that's when I look at it and I'm like, well, I have, I've never had a job, so I don't really have anything that I can put down. And he says very specifically, that is okay. Why don't you put your family and friends, personal information? Mm. Okay. So let's, let's, let's stop right there because that is not, well, it's huge for a variety of reasons. We don't want to give away what it is yet, but, but we've seen the same scam happen over the internet or stuff. People want to say, apply for this job, but we need all this kind of information. And I think what happens sometimes is it's, I don't know what it is sometimes, but it's like, you're, you don't have enough experience yet to get that radar. I mean, it's like, what's this guy asking? But it's like, but Obviously, if a father's there, if a dad's there, you know, or yeah. somebody is you're like, hey, hey, pal, <laughs> you, you know, this this isn't going to happen. Right. But right. Tell us a little bit more about his demeanor, because the other thing I'm interested in is how he came across. You said he wasn't the type of guy you would expect. What type of guy were you expecting? And how did this guy lower your inhibitions? And then how did he get you to fill this out? Was it more? Uh, very like, was it forceful in a way? Was it, you know, roundabout? Uh, The reason I'm interested in all these behavioral things is because people like this that we're going to talk about have practiced this over and over again. They have gotten good about routines and about what it takes to get somebody to be compliant. Yeah, I think, you know, part, (sighs) his look was not scary. And that, that again, can cause you to feel like you're okay because you have, you know, back in the day, the scare, the, the, the fear was the scary molester guy in the van with no windows. Okay. This was not a scary, creepy looking guy. And there was no van with no windows. Like this was a business looking man. So you're not feeling you know, somebody at who all. could, who could be my dad. So I'm not really, I'm not feeling anything. I'm just like, I'm more so freaking out that I'm not qualified. And now I'm in a situation where I'm like, damn, Natasha, you really thought you were good enough to do this? You know, I have no job experience. He's very professional with me, almost so professional that I'm feeling like he's not, I mean, I, 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 I have no experience. Right. And, um, 
he's talking to me in a sense of like, you know, there's, there's lots of girls vying for this job. Like, you know, do you, you know, how bad do you want it? And you'd be lucky if we chose you type of filling. And so as I'm, you know, putting my family's personal information down and my best friends and stuff information down, I'm thinking, you know, this is the closest that I can get. I mean, to, to having somebody he could call to be like, you know, yeah, Natasha is at least a good person. (laughs) Now, was there anything that made you get up at the, or say it to yourself at that point, I need to get up and walk out of here? Like, did anything, no. any red flags no. go off at all? No, no, no. Um, that definitely doesn't happen till later. Yeah. Mm. So let's continue on with the stage. So you're filling this stuff out. Um, walk us through the process. What happens? You fill so this I, out? I, I fill the application out. I've now given information. I hand it back to him. He tells me, that's when he's telling me that, you know, there's girls applying for this job, multiple girls that want this job. You know, basically you'd be lucky if if you get this, but you know, we appreciate you coming in. And, um, as I walk out, there's other girls in those makeup stations doing makeup. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm at this makeup place. Like, damn, I hope this guy calls me, you know? And so I'm not feeling I mean, they're honestly, the only thing I'm feeling is how in the world am I going to now tell my parents? Like that is my number one concern. It is not anything else. Like, could this guy take me? Could I be getting scammed? Is this a red flag? My whole alert system was definitely, how am I going to explain this to my parents? Now, did you, were you skipping school that day? I don't remember most likely if it was during the week, but the way college classes work in general is you're not really in school all day. Like you could have, there was really, you know, no classes on Fridays and, and that kind of stuff. So you walk out. Um, what are you thinking when you walk out? You know, what are you thinking on your drive back? That I hope I get the job. Why? How cool, how cool it would be if I got the job. Was it you know, because you wanted to do makeup or was it because you wanted to see the world? What, what was it that said this would be cool to get this job? Traveling, traveling and, you know, be, because um, I have never been one enticed with money. That's never been like, that doesn't do anything for me or the possibility of being famous or um, the high life or anything like that. That's never really... That doesn't, that doesn't entice me. Right. So you walk out. Um, what, what's the next thing that happens? Because obviously you have to, you go home. Do you, do you end up, do you tell your parents what happens no. there? So, so they, so the job ends up telling me, you know, Hey, we'll be getting in contact with you. But that, that was the end of that. Like I wasn't going to reach back out. They said they'd contact me and, you know, weeks go by at this point I've turned 19. And I remember being in my parents' bedroom on the bed. I was talking to my mom and the house phone rang. And, you know, I had kind of really not forgotten about it, but it was like, well, I must have not gotten the job because, you know, we're all moving on. Like, you know, and my mom answers the phone and then hands me the phone and says, it's for you. And they said, I got the job. I'm like, hello? And they're like, Tasha, you've got the job. 
And so I remember walking downstairs with the phone into my bedroom and being like, well, what does this mean? Like, what, what, what's next? Like, what, what happens now, right? And they were like, well, we just need you to come. You know, we need to do, we need you to sign some papers and fill out some last minute paperwork now that you're going to be traveling. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, like what's next? Like I, you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm all excited, right? Do I need to pack a bag? And they were like, no, no, this is just some follow-up to some paperwork that needs to get signed before we can start this next process to get you going. Now let's, let's stop there for a second, because if you take the job, then the discussion has to be, you can't go to college and take this job at the same time. What, what's going through? You say you, how much thought did you put into it before you said, I, I'll take the job? Was it like an instant thing or did you think about it for a second? Again, the only hesitation is my parents. That's my only hesitation. You know, um, as much as I wanted to be who I was out on my own doing whatever I want to do, I mean, I still love my parents. Those are my parents, right? So how was I going to have this conversation with them? And I knew I was going to have to have this conversation with them. And so when I told them, you know, yes, I'll take the job, I knew getting off the phone that I needed to tell them that this is, this is what I've done. And I did what any smart daughter would do. And I went to my mom first. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Most sons, most sons would do that. Most sons would do that as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I mean, mom is the mom is the soft. You know, she she can help. You know, give the message to dad. Like she can help soften the blow a little bit, right? Because moms just love you. Dads love you, but they're like, no, no. But wait a minute. So it's just a different a different uh, dynamic. So I decide I'm going to go talk to my mom first. And, you know, she, you know, is like, wait, what? And I was like, so I applied for this makeup job and that was them. And I got the job and she's like, well, what, you know, what, what does this consist of? And I said, well, you know, we'd be traveling and I'd be doing makeup for, you know, shows and stuff like that and, and fashion shows and stuff like, you know, whatnot. And she, you know, even said, what about school? And I was like, well, that's, that's the problem is I'm going to be traveling and I, I won't be, I won't be able to go to school. And she says, you know, your dad's never going to go for this. And I said, I know. Um, but I, I, you know, I really want to do this. And she's like, you know, you know, are, are ready. This is not going to go well for me. She knows it. I know it. I need to go talk to my dad. So I, I tell my dad, Hey dad, like this, you know, I, I would like, I got this makeup job. I had applied for this makeup and he immediately, the first thing out of his mouth is what about school? And I said, you know, what about it? Like, can't, can't I just do it for this semester? And then I promise I will go back to school after that. And we, it was no, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I was like, dad, please, 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 please. Just if I can take this one semester break, I promise you, I will go back. I will, I will go back after the semester, but you know, you only live once and you know, and, and he's adamant, like, this is not happening. Like absolutely not. When you were saying that you promised, did you really mean that? Or were you just using that as a ploy to get him to approve it? 
I think I meant it. I meant it when I said it. I, I knew this isn't what I would want to do for the rest of my life. You just I wanted mean, the experience of saying, hey, for a semester, I can go travel, do all this stuff. And yeah, it's kind of like not? going to Jamaica, you know, get that experience. Mm-hmm. It, like, like, why not? Like, what, what is one semester really going to hurt somebody? Like, really? Yeah. You know? And he was very upset. And, you know, he was just like, you're not doing it. And I responded with, well, <laughs> I am, I am over 18 and I can you do cannot what I tell want. me what to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that amazing. Go, I think I've had those. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had that discussion with uh, some 18 year old children of mine too, when they turned 18, cause we had a rule, no tattoos in the house and stuff. And then the minute, uh, the minute they turn 18, there you go. Anyway, but that, Hey, guess what? It's good to know kids around the world are all the same because this would happen no matter what country you're in. So you have just now laid down the law. You're 18 and you can do whatever you want. First of all, how did that go? You know, don't disrespect me in my home. You know, as long as you're living under this roof, you will follow my rules. You know, just the, the, the typical, you know, to me, dad. Yeah. Dad response. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing, nothing crazy or weird or, Um, just, you know, and then just the final, like acceptance by my parents, honestly, of like, well, I guess we can't stop you, but we love you. So, or, you know, all we can do from here is support this decision that you're making. Now, we're, did they, did he use anything that says, well, look, as long as you're under my roof, was there any discussion about, well, if you want to do this, that's great, but move out, get your own place. Or did they, did they just, Mm -hmm. they wanted you at least at home for this, right? Yeah. I don't think. I don't know. I don't think I would ever see my parents kicking me out. I mean, I wasn't making that bad of a, I mean. Did you feel they were, was, it sounds though, like your dad though, more than anything else, he was disappointed that you weren't following this mold that you're supposed to be in, which is go to college, do those things. Right. Is that what, is that what his expectation for you? Well, yeah. I mean, what, what parent doesn't have the expectation of your child taking the next step in the progression of life that we all think is the next step of the progression in life. I mean, you know, it's, you know, my daughter just started high school. It's like her telling me anything, but starting high school would be, what are you talking about? Like, that's what you do. Like you go to high school, you know? And so I don't know if it's so much just him, but it's just, this is what you do after high school. You graduate high school, you go to college. I mean, it was normal. Like, so that's what you do. What, you know, I did mean, did you discuss this with your brother and what were his ideas on it? My brother, because he always just, you know, he always tells me, he always is like, sis, you put people into permashock. Like they meet you and they're just like, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So he just is used to be being Natasha. Like, you know, he knows me better than most people. Like he gets me, you know? So he, I mean, he, he's used to my crazy, like, you know, Hey, I'm going to go do this now. And he'd always be like, I tell him, help me sneak out because the way our house was, is my, my bedroom window, like was stories down. Like, obviously there was no sneaking out, but his like went out and then onto like the, the, like onto some ground. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, help me sneak out. And I, and you know, he'd always be like, you know, mom and dad are going to be so mad at you. And I'm like, well, they're not going to find out. And so, you know, I mean, he would just do whatever, whatever I said. I mean, I, I told him, I, you know, 
yeah, I I was his big sister. He's not surprised. You know, I did big I did big sister things. You know, <laughs> told him he had this disease and that if he didn't drink a bunch of cranberry juice, he was gonna die. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, I told him he was he he was uh, adopted and yeah, oh, I got in so much trouble. But you know, I mean. That's just what sisters do. Good, 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 good to know. Yes, I might have had some of those experiences yeah. too. Um, but so this discussion goes on that night. So you finally resolve it, right? So the next step is to how how soon are you in that office again? So I don't go back to the office. We meet at a restaurant okay. in San Jose, and I, you know, the thing is, is that at this point. They had told me, make, you know, say goodbye to your family because you're going to be gone for a little while. So that's when I was like, well, okay. Now, th- they said that on the phone call or they said that when you met at San Jose? No, when we, when we met at San Jose. So before we met at San Jose, on the phone, when I was like, do I need to pack a bag? They were right. like, don't bring anything like you're moving out. Just, you know, bring a couple things. But nothing really like, you know, I wasn't, they weren't telling me I was going to be gone for months. But I needed to let my family know. They knew I lived with my parents. They knew I was this young kid. And so I, I mean, I, I, I had to say goodbye to my parents. And I, when, you know, about a week went by when I needed to go meet them at the restaurant, I remember backing out of the driveway and I was looking at my parents and I was waving to them. What did you have packed with you at that time? Just like, uh, maybe, maybe like a few nights worth of clothes. Like I, I thought I was going to go do like some sort of training, like shadow this makeup artist. So and the reason I'm saying that too, and, and you're, you're leading into it too. You looking back on it, you can see now is one of the reasons they want you to tell your parents you're going to be gone for a while is they want to lower, uh, any mm-hmm. suspicions. They want to let people know it, it's okay for you to be out of contact for a while because you're going to be in these places. So we're creating distance now between the last time you see them and then right. there's, you know, so again, what I'm, what I'm looking at is this is obviously well choreographed, you know, th- this is something they've done before. So when you, when you were meeting at the restaurant, did that raise a red flag? I mean, did you think like, why are we meeting at a restaurant? No, 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 not really. Um, no, no. I, you know, when they were like, you know, in San Jose, which is like an hour and a half closer to where my parents were, I figured it was just cause it's a you know, in the middle type of spot, I, um, didn't think anything else, but again, I was not looking for any red flags. There was mm-hmm. nothing that was like, you know, Natasha, you need to really make sure you know what you're doing here. For you, this um, is about getting ready to go on a global adventure or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. I, I got a new job. I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember feeling that excitement. Like I could feel that excitement right now. Like that's how much I remember it. And wondering what was next. Like, you know, what, what, what is going to be this next? So before you walked into the restaurant, what did you think next was? What, what places did you think you were going to? What kind of life did you think you were going to lead for at least this next semester? Just traveling and meeting people. Just, you know, like not boring, stuck up people, just being able to get out of that world (laughs) that I was living in and, you know, see the world, just do my thing, you know? not, not be in the societal standards and this box that everybody wants to put me in and just go, you know? So tell us about the restaurant. What kind of restaurant was it? It was a Mexican food restaurant. 
And it was just your, just a regular Mexican food restaurant. It wasn't like a taco shop type thing. It was a, it was like a Mexican restaurant, like an El Torito's type, type restaurant. Um, but, uh, as, as we were meeting is when that feeling started happening where, Tell us about that. Walk us into that now. So you're walking in, they're in the restaurant. When does this feeling start and why does it start? I'd probably say a couple minutes. Like I'm sitting down, I'm kind of like excited, like, Hey, how are you? And I swear they are just two totally different people. Like he's kind of just quiet and staring at me and she has like really short answers. And I'm like, what? Like, these are not the people I just met with. Like, this is not what I remember. And so I'm still going with it though. I'm still going with it. And he's just kind of, you know, there, but he's just staring at me. And I'd ask her like, oh, you know, where, where, you know, what's, what is next after this? Right. And she would, she would just be really short. Like, well, we'll figure that out later. And I'm like, figure what out later. Like, I need to know what the heck's going on. You know what I mean? Like having nothing to do with anything, but like, you don't tell me where I'm going. Like, that's weird. Like what's wrong with you lady. And so it just kind of was like that for a while. And I, I started not liking it and my, everything in me was telling me something was wrong. Like everything, like everything you could possibly think about that gives you that feeling inside. That is like, if you don't get the F out right now, like you are going to die. So I didn't feel like I was going to die, but it was all those. I mean, every alarm, my stomach was in this knot. My heart was pounding fast. I had the chills and my brain was going like a hundred miles per minute with like, what the heck are you supposed to do right now? Like, so why didn't you leave? So I said I was cold and then I needed to go get my jacket out of my car. And they just kind of looked at me like, okay, go get your jacket. But I wasn't cold. I was freaking leaving. I was like, I am not like, this is weird. This is really weird. And so as I stood up to walk out, like they didn't really acknowledge me. Like, like there was no like, okay, see you when you get back. Like it literally was like, oh, okay. And so as I walked out of the restaurant, I literally was about to step out on the curb and I was like, oh, well, I'll let this car pass. So as I, as I stopped myself, this car pulled up and somebody in the back seat pulled me into the car and drove off with me. Well, let's, let's stop there for a second because there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, did they have now this is, uh, how many years ago are we talking about now? Well, I'm 40. So 2001. Okay. So about 21 years ago. So the thing I'm getting at too is, uh, cell phones were just coming out, you know, Nokia, yeah, yes. you know, Blackberry and stuff. So yes. were they on, cause the question I'm trying to figure out is there had to be coordination. Number one, they had to know what you look like. Right. Number two, they had to know that you were leaving the restaurant and number three, they had to be able to time their approach because the other thing it's ballsy to do what we're just about to talk about, you know, in broad yes. daylight. So were yes. they on the phone? Were they doing anything when you were leaving to communicate? So I, I do not know those kinds of things because I wasn't looking back at them. 
So I, I can't answer what they were doing. All I know is this car took me. Did I think there was a connection when they took me? Absolutely not. I had no time to think I'm putting this whole ring together. Like I was screaming, please don't kill me. Like, that's all I was saying. Like, I literally thought I was just kidnapped off the street. So and you kn you made no connection between your no. meeting in the restaurant and the car? W it, was that because that simply point. it was too unfathomable to think I'm being kidnapped? Well, I thought all I was thinking about is I didn't want to die. I d I'm not putting together, yeah. you know, oh, I just got scammed into what's about to happen. Like, I'm screaming. I'm crying out for my life. Like, all I care. I just didn't want them to kill me. And the, the driver was telling the person who had me in the back to shut me, you know, shut me up. And he had like, he was digging his elbows like into me really, really, really hard. Like, because I'm fighting, like I'm, I'm fighting. And he's just like whacking me with his elbows, just down right on my head and on my side. And he's like, got me in this bear hug and I'm, I mean, he just was so strong. And then the driver is telling him, you know, to shut me the F up. And I'm just, all I keep saying is, is please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want. Like my idea was they're going to rape me and kill me. That is it. I, I had no other thought of, oh, wow. In these moments, the people in the restaurant totally just set me up. Like I that thought it had nothing to do with what just happened. I really thought I was getting a job. So why in the world would I have thought that they were part of this kidnapping thing? How many, how many people were in that car? Yeah. Two. And there was a driver and then there's the person in the back. Did he have a that gun? Was about the, yeah. How did, did they, they get you in the car? Did they reach out and grab you and use yes, a gun? The person in the back had a gun. And did he use that when he pulled you into the car? He didn't shoot me, no. No, I mean, in or terms of, did you. he point it at you and threaten you with the yes, gun to get you in yes, the car? Yes, okay. yes, but he didn't. We're, so when you walked out, and, and we're certainly not grilling you, we're just curious because we want our listeners to, to be prepared. Understand what you went through, yeah. Yeah, so when, when they pulled up to you, were they in such close proximity that you didn't have a chance to step back away from him, maybe push and, and so run he got or... my clothes, like he grabbed my shirt. So when I pulled back, he had my shirt, and I didn't see the gun till once he pulled my shirt, and I went, I like went back because I I tried to turn, I tried to turn right. So as the car pulls up, the curb is right here. I'm literally stepping off the curb, thinking as the car goes by, I'm going to go to my car. So I. I had already, the car was already so close to me that I had stopped because I was going to allow it to pass when I was planning on walking to my car. So I'm literally on the ledge of the curb waiting for this car to go by. I mean, not aware of anything. So as it pulls up and the door opens, I, I'm not really like computing what's happening. And then he, this man just jumps out and grabs me and has my shirt and I, he's pulling me and I'm trying to turn. But as he, I mean, it was like the grip of death. And then I go to turn to like, look at, see what the situation was. And it was, I mean, it was done. I mean, he, he had the gun. He, I mean, it was like, I, what was I get? I mean, it was, he had already had half my body in. Did he strike you? No, it was more the elbow stuff mm -hmm. keeping me down. Because once I got in the car, he, he kind of like slipped getting in the back of the car, getting me in the back. And so I kind of was able to like try and like grab the door 
And then that's when he just went whack with down, down on me. And I just was like, bam, like right on my, right back here. Did, just did that, you lose uh, consciousness at all or anything? No, no. I mean, I, I mean, we were, I, we were fighting, you know, and then I was screaming so much. I, I would not stop screaming. And then I, I think it made the driver very, very upset. But, but so from the time you stepped out that door till you were in that car, what would you estimate that time frame? How quickly did this happen? Oh gosh. I, I mean, in a, in a, in a blink, in a blink of an eye. I mean, there was no time to, you know, I mean, two, three seconds. Oh yes. Yes. I mean, I, I was overpowered no matter what I tried. Yeah. And that's, and that's the point we're trying to get across to the listeners. Is that just that quick? You know, here, I mean, that's how quickly these things can happen. You know, we, we talked to our children. I've got four kids. Uh, Morgan's got, you got two or three, right? That we got yours, right mine now. and ours. So we got five. Okay. You know, and we preach and now grandchildren and we preach to them about being aware of your surroundings and how quickly things can happen. And they still don't take it seriously. I can promise you they are going to listen to this interview. Not my, yeah. not my little grandchildren, but my children are going to listen to this. So let's talk about now, what time of day was this when this happened? Daylight. I mean, like afternoon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're pulled into this vehicle. Let's walk through what happens now for the next, you know, few minutes and stuff. Right. Uh, he's, he's, this guy in the back is hitting you down. Uh, you know, he's trying to get you to quiet down. What happens from that point? I'm screaming and he keeps elbowing me. And then that's when the driver got upset and told him to shut me the F up. And then I stayed quiet and I just was crying. And I was saying, please, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. Please don't kill me. And that went on until I remember all of a sudden we pulled, I could, I could look up and we pulled into something and then I could hear like a, so we were, we were in some sort of garage. Was there any, what was the conversation between the driver and the passenger other than get you to shut up? Was there anything about turn here? That was it. Okay. All right. That was it. He, the driver was cussing and very mad that I would not be quiet. So from the time you were kidnapped until the time you pulled in that garage, how long of a time frame was that? You think? I have no idea. I, to be honest with you. I know it had to feel like a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I was praying. I mean, I, I thought they were going to kill me and I really had to come to terms with a lot of stuff in a very, very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, So obviously these guys are speaking English. Did they have an accent? Were they, do you think they were, so they were American? Yes, they were. You you said something very interesting. You said you had to come to terms with a lot of things in a short amount of time. What was going through your head? Um, I was praying and asking for forgiveness so that I would go to heaven because I knew I was going to die. That's not a comfortable feeling, especially no. as a 19-year-old. That's... Mm. Um, you know, and there's, like I said, this, this is, we wanted to be, we, before we started this, we said we wanted to be very respectful of your story. And so we don't mm-hmm. want to, but we want people to understand your state of mind because it's very key for things that come later on, but it's also key to how they control people. So when this thing closes, what happens next? When this garage door closes, what happens next? He takes me out. He's carrying me and takes me out of the backseat and takes me now as, as I'm going through, not the like outdoor garage door, but the garage door going inside the house. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I realize I'm in like this mansion and I'm looking around and he's taking me all the way down. I'm going through this house. He's carrying me and he takes me down this hallway. He turns right, goes all the way down to this, uh, to this room. And this room has nothing but carpet and four walls and he key and, and a window. And that is where, um, he took off all my clothes and then shut me in that room. This room, let's, let's back up a little bit. As you're walking down, you're obviously not restrained at this point, right? They haven't put blindfolds on you, handcuffs, nothing, right? Just controlling you through physical force. Right. When you say he said, take off all your clothes, he, he, you, everything was taken off? No, he took off my clothes. That's what I mean. He took off your clothes, but yes. I mean everything, right? You were yes. left naked? I was naked, yes. And then was- when they closed the door, what, what happened after that point? I mean, it's obviously, it looks like it was probably secured from the outside, locked. Yes, Did- but I would, I would bang on the door, and I would cry, and I would scream, and I would bang on the door, and I would say, you know, what's going on? Let me out. And then that, that went on until I had no more energy to do that, and then I would just sit there. And then, um, you know, as hours went on, um, he came in and he would rape me and then he would leave. And as, as he was in the room, I would cry and say, please just let me go. Please, please don't kill me. And he wouldn't say a word to me. This is the same guy that grabbed you that was in the back seat. Yes. And I, I, he would not speak to me at all. And then, um, that happened on numerous occasions. And then I would get honestly like a random cheeseburger or fries or some, that, uh, microwavable mac and cheese. Could you see anything out the window? Could you tell where you were? Just that I was in a neighborhood. What, how, did, how did they barricade the windows to keep you from getting out of those? It doesn't open. It didn't open. Like I have, I have a huge window that's in my living room that it's not, it's not, there's a word for, it. I don't know what it is, but you can't open it. Yeah. Right. Just a window. Yeah. So this kind of looks, I mean, they went to extents to, to design this room. It seems like to hold people. Did you ever hear, oh, hey, you're my kind of person. You got a cat walking across. I got, I got a couple of cats I'm that sorry. do the same thing. No, 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 no. Hey, look, you're I have okay, cats all the time no. that come across, especially when one of them's hungry. Um, yeah. But when, but when you were in this room, could you hear anybody else? No, no. Could you hear any sounds? Could you hear anything going on? Or were you like, I could was hear, it- I could hear faint voices, right? Like uh, what I would say were footsteps in the house. But um, I wouldn't be able to tell what it is. If it was the TV, um, I, I just, I didn't know. And, um, you know, part, obviously what we know now, part of what he, you know, I mean, they're just, they're, they're breaking my spirit, you know, because they're, they're breaking me down. Um because you go through these emotions in the beginning that end up changing, you know, you're, you're crying in the beginning, right? And you're almost fighting a losing battle, right? With the whole, let me out. Like, how ridiculous is that? I'm banging and making all this noise. This guy's not going to let me out. But you're, you're acting, 
you know, like as if all of a sudden they're going to open that door and be like, oh, hey, let me go take you home now. Right. Um, and then the longer you're by yourself, your mind starts really playing these crazy games on you. And you go from this whole banging the door, screaming to just being very quiet and sitting with yourself and very alone in your thoughts. And so then you start thinking about, you know, that I lied to my parents and now I'm in this room and they have no idea. And that I was very, very sorry. And I just had hoped that they knew how much I loved them and how much I had messed up and how this is all my fault. And, um, just that God would be with me. However, they killed me that I wouldn't suffer too much and that, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt whatever they were going to do to kill me, that it wouldn't hurt, that I could just die. It's kind of like the seven stages of grief. When you look at that, that first it's denial, then it's anger. You work through all these things. What they're breaking you down to is acceptance. They want compliance. They want you to not question, you know, they want you, um, they, they want to train you basically to just do whatever they say, because, you know, they've just broken your body. They've broken your spirit. Um, while they had you up there, when you said he brought you in and the rape is a physically violent act in and of itself. In addition to that, was there any kind of other physical force? Did they hit you? Did they strike you? Did they beat you? Did they do anything like that? Not yet. Okay. How long did this go on? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. Um, I don't even know if I remembered then. I remember, um, you know, you would just, your body, you are so mentally and emotionally and physically exhausted because you try to stay up as long as you can because you're not sure what's going to happen next. So it's like, it's like, imagine when, you know, you, you're, you're extremely tired. It's like driving and you know, you're tired because you've been driving all night and it's that your eyes are heavy you're trying to keep your eyes open and stay awake in this room because you don't know what's, what's about to happen. So I'm so tired that sometimes I'm sleeping and I can see that it's light out. Sometimes I'm sleeping and it's nighttime. Sometimes, you know, he's coming in when I know the lights out. Sometimes I know he's coming in when it's dark out. So I, I don't really remember, um, until the day that he came in and picked me up and took me, um, to the other side of the house. And then I was introduced to, uh, Shiva. Before we get to that part, let's back up a little bit too. When you said that they threw you food and stuff, how did they take, was, how did you take care of basic necessities? They put anything in the room. Did they take you out to do that? How did they treat you about that? So if I had to use the restroom, he, they would ask me with the door shut, do you need to use the restroom? And if I said yes, then he would carry me. The restroom was literally, literally the bathroom. So there's the room and literally next to it was the bathroom. So he would take me in there and he would watch me while I went to the restroom. And then sometimes, sometimes when they didn't check on me for a very long time, I would just have to go in the corner. You know, this is horrific. Yeah, because um, I'm afraid to ask questions, but I, mean, I know we talked about we wanted to go through this, but it's like it's just like there is uh, I will we'll, we'll talk about that later because, you know, there is a special place in hell for people like this. And um, I have no problem introducing people like that into it. 
Right. And, and for our listeners, you know, we discussed this with Natasha before we started this interview. Anything that she's not comfortable with, she will not answer. Um, if you need to take a break, Tasha, and at any point, you just say the word. Uh, my heart is breaking for you right now. I, I'm rarely at a loss for words, and Murph will tell you, but this is one of those things. It's like I just can't. Um, I'm sitting here trying to imagine just from a time frame and the things that's going on, what it does with your mind mm-hmm. and what it does to you. And you're right. It be, and, and the reason we kind of laid out a lot of this stuff earlier, we wanted people to understand this was a whole process to get you up to this point. I mean, it's the throwing out the card. It's the it's the it's the uh, comments. It's the hey, you look really good. They are profiling. They are profiling you. You were a target. You fit their profile of what they were looking for. So they started the group, the entire grooming process. And just to put this in perspective, from the first contact you had in the mall until you were kidnapped, how long of a time frame are we talking about? Maybe three months, longer, shorter? Yeah, probably three months because I know that I was taken. I was taken in May, May. I think it was May, a- April or May, or it might've been February. I, I don't remember. It, w- it was one of those, but it was a few months into it. Like this did not happen overnight. That's for sure. And that's, and that's, and this is the danger too. Some people say, well, they just didn't kidnap, you know, I'm worried about them kidnapping somebody just right off the street. What you ought to be worried about is all the work that goes into grooming somebody so that they can kidnap them off the street because it's getting you isolated. It's giving your parents an excuse to say, this is a reason why you're not going to be in contact with them. And then isolating you, taking you to an area that the thing that I'm kind of shocked about is that they did this in such a public place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, cause the danger you have to worry about, was there somebody that saw this? Did saw they, yeah. That call nine one one, you know, and report a kidnapping. So, um, that, that was a calculated risk on their part to do it in, in the open like that. But let's, let's kind of fast forward to this. You said everything, um, you know, they, they finally took you to room and took you to said Shiva or Shiba. Shiva with a V. Shiva with a V. Let's let's talk about that. How did they open the door? Who who comes in and gets you? The same guy. So, uh, yes. So back up really quick to what you said about this grooming process. Just they never pressured or rushed the process, and that's what makes people let their guard down. They never rushed that whole hiring process. That you know they let me reach out to them. You know what I mean? Like they weren't constantly on top of me. Like, Hey, did you, what did you think about this job? Or can I get your information? Like that's, that's one of those things that allows us as a person to be like, wow, you know, they're really not, you know, they're not pushing this. You know, it's not like a pushy sales guy that calls you, then calls you the next day and calls you the next day. This is like, Hey, if you call us, that's great. And if you don't call us, that's great too. And like you said, that is calculated to lower your inhibitions and make you think there's less risk here because they're not being pushy. Not at all. I mean, they really were letting me feel like I was making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Which, in a sense, you were, but the whole right. thing was calculated to get you to make right. the final decision, which is show up at the restaurant to meet the owner. And that's when this came about. So let's t- during that time, before they brought you out of the room to go meet Shiva, had you seen anybody else other than the guy who kidnapped you originally? No, no. Okay. No. So he comes to get you. Let's talk about that now. What happens? So when he came into the bedroom to pick me up, I started screaming and holding on to the frame of the door Why? because I thought he was taking, to, taking me to kill me. Okay. And 
I was just screaming for my life. I mean, I was trying, I was clawing, trying everything I could to hold on to the door frame. And, you know, again, what, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to stop that. But I will say it is, I don't know for everybody, but for me, my natural instinct is to fight until you can't fight anymore. Right? Like I'm, I don't ever want to know that if you're going to kill me, that I didn't put up the fight of my life. So even though I knew there was no way that I was getting out of this or that I could overpower this man, I needed for me to know that I tried. I mean, I tried. I mean, if I could have gotten out of his arms and tried to go through the front door, even though I didn't know where the front door was, I would literally be like in those scary movies trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go. But I was, I would try, you know? And so when he picked, when he had me in his arms and I finally, I mean, you know, couldn't hold on to the door anymore. He took me down to this other bedroom all the way on the other side of the house. And there was a squirrel sitting on the bed and he, he lays me on the bed and he says, this is Shiva. And he says, Shiva, tell her what she's going to be doing now. How is, is Shiva clothed? Does she have clothes on? Yes. Yes. So are, now you stayed on the same floor or did they take you down through the, this mansion you said and take you to the other side? It was the same floor, but literally, I mean, we walked a little ways. I mean, I was on one way far into the house. She was the other place that I was taken was on the way other end of the house. So when you see Shiva, what's your initial, if you remember your initial view, do you think, is Mm -hmm. she a, is she a victim like you or is she part of this crew? I didn't know. All I knew is that he told her to explain to me what I would be doing. And she pulls out this, this silver box and it has condoms and lube and some other things in it. And she's explaining to me that they're going to get me cleaned up. And then I'm going to go have sex with a man and basically led me to believe that if I just do this one thing, then maybe I could go home. Now, you wanted to, I know you wanted in your heart to believe that, but did you believe it? Yes. What was Shiva's attitude? Was she arrogant? Was she confident? Was she scared? Uh, kind. Oh. Gentle. Was it because she was grooming you as well to do this, or was it because she was a victim herself? I mean, at the time, I feel like she felt sorry for me, but I don't, you know, you know, obviously now at this point in my life, I know her whole story. So, but in those moments, I'm not analyzing what is this person a victim? How did this happen? Like I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, but well, with her kind, with her kind attitude, did did you kind of feel like, well, maybe here's an ally, finally somebody I can? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Um, I just was very appreciative that somebody was treating me, um, decent, so kind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and, and see, that's the, that's, you know, there's a thing too, it won't get into a lot of the behavioral stuff, but it's basically the whip puppy. You know, it's basically at some point people want affection enough that they'll even go to somebody who's abusive if they think they're going to get some affection. Mm-hmm. And they had manipulated you to that point to where you were looking for anything that would give you a shred of hope. And, and it's, it's, it's cruel. It's cruel how they dangle that in front of you and do that. Um, how was she addressed? Go ahead. And, and at this point, remember, I thought I was being brought to be, I thought I was being brought on out of the room to be killed. Mm-hmm. So, so anything above being killed is a win. Is it, Yes. Mm. Yeah. And they never did anything to dissuade you from the fact that you thought you were going to be killed, right? Did they kind of use that to play on you? It's like, did anybody ever say, look, we're not going to kill you? Um, no, or did- no one ever told me when I said, please don't kill me the multiple times. No one ever said, I'm not going to kill you. Okay. So that, that, again, they, they continue that out. That's yeah. what your belief was. When you yeah. walked into saw Shiva for the first time, how was she dressed? Was she dressed like somebody might expect to be in an escort service? Was she dressed? Elegantly, elegantly. Okay. Hmm. All right. So they give you the box and they lead you to believe you, you just do this, this one time. What happens after that? Yes. Um, she puts me in the shower and gets me cleaned up because at this point I'm pretty weak. And, um, you know, lack of days and days of sleep, um, not getting the food that I should be getting just in general, um, everything that's happened to me, uh, from being raped, um, just, I had had blood from, um, when he had raped me, um, I had blood coming like dried up blood. And so I had, I had to, when I was in the shower, she was, she was cleaning my body. She was cleaning me up and, um, yeah. So I got, we got myself cleaned up. She gave me some clothes and, um, took me out to, uh, where spider was in this, like kind of in the, in the garage thing. And it was put me in his car and then they opened the garage and we pulled out. And as we drove to, um, well, let me back up. When we were in the bedroom and he had told her, let Natasha know what she'll be doing, part of it was um, explaining to me that he was my daddy now. And is that the fir- – when did the fir- – you just mentioned the name Spider, so I want to go back to the point. When is the first mm-hmm. time you learned the name Spider? That would not be till days later. That would not be till days later. So as far as I know this person, I am to address him as daddy at that point when I'm with Shiva in the room. So I don't know anything about anything at this point. Like calling, calling him daddy did not think, oh, now I'm, I'm being trafficked. Like this was like, why am I calling him daddy? This is weird. That's what I'm supposed to call him. But the guy you're calling daddy that later will be known as Spider is the same guy that grabbed you that day from the restaurant. And it's the yes, only sir. face you basically, the, mm-hmm. it's the only the male face you've ever seen to that point. Yes. Okay. So, um, they get you, they dress you up. How do they dress you up? I'd say elegantly. I mean, nothing. Um, I know when people have this idea of prostitutes, right? Like TV and stuff like that, it's always, uh, looking a certain way, but, um, what you learn in the life is men don't want really want you looking like a, a hooker. They want you to look like a regular, nicely dressed young woman. So they, you, so she dresses you up and like you say, now you have this conversation. He says, call me daddy. What is the extent of the other conversation? Are there implied threats? Is there, are there anything about if you do this, then I'm going to do this? No, 
No, just it was more so um, I think because they knew I really believed I would be killed that um, they didn't really have to threaten me. Instead, what they did is let me know that if I do this, I could possibly go home. But they made me believe I'd be able to go home. Right. Um, because there is a there's an issue, too, here with controlling you because you could go into that room, pick up a phone and call 911 and say, hey, I've been kidnapped. You know I mean, or you could maybe make contact with somebody. How are they controlling against you taking any actions like that? Is it just through that implied threat, you know, like or this belief that you're going to get to go home? Yes, because I felt like if I just did what they said, then I'd be able to go home. And then more bad things wouldn't happen to me, right? Because I had been raped in ways I had never had, you know, I had, it had never happened to me. I had never done those types of things. So I didn't want it to happen again. Uh I'm just I'm trying I'm trying to keep the anger from boiling over here because I want to you know just maintain a professional uh, demeanor and not make it sound like we're trying to do an interview or an interrogation. This is really about as you're telling your story. I'm looking at those things that say you know really this is an instruction manual for parents and other people to say mm -hmm. and for young ladies too. Like to your point, if something's wrong, you know you trust your instincts, right? You know um, follow through on that. But let's talk about this ride over there. So you get into the garage. You have this discussion, and now you're headed over. Um, tell us about the trip going there. He, I was just quiet. And the, the place that he took me was not too far away from the house that I was being kept at. And, you know, people like to believe, like, the stuff on the TV where I'm, like, you know, counting how many trees, seeing what roads were turning on, like, the kind of stuff you see on TV that would be able to be like, Oh, I know where I'm at. Like I am freaking out, like completely freaking out. Like I am not able to look and identify my surroundings and be like, we just turned on Smith street. Okay. Now we're taking a left on, you know, Bob street. Like this is literally like what, what is happening? I am going to go have sex with some stranger right now. Right? Like something that is meant for you to do with somebody you like. And I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'm just going to go home and be like, Hey, yeah, the job wasn't for me. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying not to die. I'm just trying not to die. Like you told me I need to have sex with this man. I could, pro I could go home, made me to believe I could go home. I'm just going to do what you say. We're just going to go from there. So as we're in the car, I didn't really say anything. And he was just explaining to me what I would be doing with this man. And I just would, you know, say, okay. Was she even in the car with you? No, no. So who was, was, did they have a driver too? No, it was Spider. He was driving me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so they, they thought they had you into a mental position now where they didn't even really require security. Well, so they thought. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk <laughs> okay. about that. So, um, what so kind I of a, thought too. Yeah. So what kind of a place do you go to when you say a place? Is this a hotel? Is this a home? It was a condo. It was a condo, con like a townhome. Okay. And was it, was it someplace you think that that's where this person you were meeting lived or was this a place where they held these, um, so took took you to 
it's hard because you're asking questions that I know the answer to now, but I didn't know the answer to then. No, that's then. okay. Just it's basically what did you know then? So you're, all then, you're knowing okay. is – So I'm at a townhouse is all yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm being, I'm being pulled up. Um, and then before I go in, he, um, takes, takes my head and starts forcing me to, um, give him oral sex. Who, Spotter? Yes. You know, we may stop this thing because I, I got to go to the range and maybe shoot some holes in some targets. Mm. Um, this is, uh, you know, anyway, let's, let's continue on because really, quite frankly, we owe it to you to, to tell your story the way you want to do it and not keep interjecting like this. Um, he makes you do that. It's obviously another way to control, uh, you know, he is just, uh, he, his whole goal is to beat you down and keep you down. Um, when does he walk you up uh, to the condo? How does that? Yes. Okay. So he walk he walks me up to the condo. He walks me into the the townhome, and um, waits downstairs. And um, I'm kind of he says you need to go upstairs, and I'm kind of like hello, like is anyone here? Like as I'm walking up the stairs, I don't I don't know what's going on. It's extremely quiet. And I'm just, as I'm walking up the stairs, like there was kind of two stairs, like you go up one and then go up like a, like, like another level. And as I'm like walking up the first level, I'm like saying hello. Like, I'm like, is anyone here? Like what, you know, like, is somebody going to jump out and get me? Like, I just don't know what I'm about to walk into. You know, it's not like spiders preparing me. All what I am prepared for is I, I have this box of condoms and lube and I am about to have sex with some strange man, but I don't know what's, what, you know, is that really what's about to happen? I have no idea, but all I know in my mind is I get to go home after this. So I'm going to do whatever, whatever it takes. And so as I am walking up, I hear, I hear a voice be like, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in the bedroom over here. So I go in the bedroom and there's this man laying on the bed and he's naked. And I, you know, I'm extremely quiet and I'm kind of looking at him like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do right now. Like, I, I am not experienced in this way. And so I'm kind of just looking at him and he says to me, I'm sorry. I wish I could help you, but I can't. And then have sex with me. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, I can't, if you were watching this on screen right now, Murph and I are both at a loss for words. It's like, first of all, as a man, it's like, how do you say you're sorry for something like that? Uh, and just, if people knew how much people were being trafficked and this stuff is going on, um, well, let's let's continue on. We'll save a lot of the uh, the stuff for later. Um, um how long, how long are you there before, um, you leave? So I have sex with him and then I, you know, put my clothes back on. Um, he says, you can go downstairs now. So I, I walk downstairs, spider walks me back to the car. We get in the car and I wait, I wait a few seconds. And then I say, do I get to go home now? And he looks at me. And he says, bitch, you are never going home. 
And in those moments, I knew I needed to try and run away now. Now, what'd you do? I made a plan. And so when he brought me back to the house, there was other girls there now. And in my mind, I'm like, holy crap. He is like kidnapping multiple girls. Like, I have to get us out of here, like now. And so, again, I don't know what trafficking is. I, I, I don't know any of this stuff. I don't understand the life, the game. I don't understand any of this. All I know is if I was kidnapped and I'm being forced to be here, so are these other girls. And so I go up to one of them and I was like, hey, do you want to run away with me tonight? Because now as I'm being walked into the house, I see where the, I see some doors. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I am going to try to run away. The next time they let me out, I'm going to try and run away. And so I, I ask her if she wants to go with me. She wants to try with me. And she kind of just like dismisses me or whatnot. So I, you know, get eventually taken back into the room I'm being held in. I'm in there. And now I'm like, I, I got to get out of here. Like, I have to run away. I like, I, he told me I'm never going home and I believe him. And so I'm trying to figure out like how, how I'm going to, how I'm going to leave, how I'm going to run away and make the decision that if I get caught, I know he's going to kill me, but is it worth it to try and run away? And I felt like it was because again, I'm disgusted that I just had sex with somebody I don't know. And this, this whole situation, this is just everything happening. I don't know that I could continue to just live like this. And so I just asked myself, what are you going to do if you get caught? And I, I already was like, dying is better than living like this. So I had no choice but to try and run away. And so as I'm in the bedroom trying to figure out what my next move is, uh, Shiva comes in the bedroom and is on the phone and she opens the door and she says, Hey, daddy wants to talk to you. And so she's standing there and I get on the phone and I'm like, hello. And he goes, Hey, and I was like, yeah. And he goes, I hear you don't want to, you don't want to be here anymore. And I said, um, uh, and he goes, you know what? He goes, this isn't the life for you anyways. He goes, I'll take you home. He goes, I can see this isn't what you want. And I said, okay. I said, um, yeah, that would be great. I promise I won't tell anybody. I won't tell anybody what happened. I like, I, I promise I won't tell anybody. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. He's like, she was going to go ahead and bring you out to the car and I'm going to take you home. And I said, okay. And I repeated again, I promise I won't tell anybody what happened. And so Shiva brings me out to the, out to the garage again and I get in the car and she shuts the door and spider opens the garage door and we back out and we start driving. When you were in the car, did you really believe you were going home at that time where, I mean, were you thinking, okay, this is really happening. I'm going home. Yes. Yes. Which don't want to take away from what's going to happen, but it's like, but that is all part of a plan, you, you know? Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it's to, it's to, it's to bring you up to that kind of point to where, uh, I have this hope. And then he does what I think he's about to do snatches everything away from you. So as, as 
as I'm driving, as he's driving and I'm, and I'm looking and we're, we're, I'm looking around and, and I, I was kept about two, two hours, maybe at the most from where my parents, where my parents lived. So when, when I, when we, he had taken me to go to this townhome to have sex with that guy, I realized where we were at. I knew what town we were in. And so I'm, I know where he has to go to take me home. Like I, I know which way he has to take me home. And about, I'd say 20 minutes into the drive, nothing's being said. Um, as I realize, like, as I look up and realize that he's taking an exit, I'm realizing I'm, this is, I'm not going home. And I just sink like inside. And as I realize we're not going home, his hand goes over the center console and he is literally able to lift me off the seat with his hand around my neck like this, like literally. And he's shaking me and he's like strangling me with all his strength. And he's screaming at me, you fucking want to go home? You fucking want to go home? You're not fucking going home now. You're my snow bunny, like stuff like that. So, um, of course I'm screaming and crying, you know, please stop. And then it's so tight around my neck that I end up passing out. And when I wake up again, I'm being pulled out of, out of the car. And he, it's a, it was a navigator. So I'm like, as he's pulling me, my body is like slamming down the side. And then as I get on the ground, he's just kicking the crap out of me. And so I'm like in fetal position, just natural feeling of trying to protect myself. And I'm like screaming, you know, I'm crying, you know, this hurts, please stop. And he is just going to town on me. And as that happens, I pass out. And I don't know how long it is, but I eventually wake up and I am in this field. Like there's trees, but I'm randomly in some place like that. There's, there's nobody around. There's no houses, nothing. I'm in this field. And my legs were burning. Like I felt like my legs were on fire and like I could not really move them. And so I'm kind of crawling at this point, trying to look around and figure out what the heck is happening. And I'm just in this state of, of shock, right? It's not like anything, but in those moments of figuring out what is happening right now to me. And so as I am trying to figure out what the heck's happening, this car pulls back up and I see a car coming. And as the car gets closer, I realize it's him. And he gets out of the car and he looks down at me in, in like the field, in the bushes. And he says to me, do you want to go home now? And I said, no. So he picked me up and he put me in the back of the car and he drove me back to the house. So where you ended up at was not where the, the initial beating took place, right? Where he took you and started beating you. Were you physically moved then from one location to another? Was that all in the same area? No, so as like when he pulled me out of the car to beat me, that's where he left. Oh, okay, me. okay. Which was, and it was like in some field. Field. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like a forest. I I don't know. It was the, the trees and stuff, but there was no, there was no like civilization or anything. So when he asked you that question, um, we you obviously did want to go home, but you know, if you said that, you were going to be in for right. another beating. Of course. Of course. 
I needed to give him the answer he wanted to hear. I could not take anything else. I couldn't even walk at this point. Did you know if anything was broken? I don't know. All I knew is because I remember how much he was kicking my back, like my lower back. It was, it was like, I don't know what, and it most likely was because I was curled up so tight that that was basically all I could get to is my back. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm just in this roly poly position on the ground and the car, when he pulled me out, the car's in front of me. So I'm right in front of the car. I'm right like on the side of the car. So he can't get there. And if I'm in fetal position and I'm curled up, all he's hitting is this just constantly. And I want to make a, want to make a note too, is that part of their thing too, is that to him, you're, to him, you're a piece of property to him. You're something to be marketed. You're the, you're the merchandise, you're the goods. You might do some things to the merchandise, but it did one thing I'm thinking of, and I, I don't know the answer to this because we didn't do a lot of deep dive with her before we started the story. We had a good idea of it. I'm thinking that he stayed away from your face, you know, in areas like that, because that's part of marketing you, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I have severe scarring on, on, uh, my neck because he constantly, constantly strangled me that he had popped so many blood vessels that, um, it just never, it never healed. So I have, I have huge marks on, on my neck and I, I purposely do not cover them up. Let's, let's put this in perspective too, because, um, we've never, we've kind of got a good idea about this guy now called spider, but give us an idea too, in terms of, you said something that just struck me as his ability to reach over to you while you're in the navigator, lift you up by your neck off Mm -hmm. the seat, even across the console. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give us, tell us about Spider. In other words, describe a describe him for us. If you, you know, because I know you've got this information later, but size, you know, weight, stuff like that. I want people to understand what kind of a guy we're dealing with here. Huge. I'm talking like six, over six four, six five, just built, um, huge muscles, uh, worked out, lifted all the time, um, just you know, a a beast in that way. I mean, he was, he didn't, you know, he didn't drink or do drugs. He didn't, he didn't do anything that, that, you know, would cause him to be anything, but in the most healthiest physical state he could possibly be in. Yeah. Um, well, we'll, we'll talk about him later. Um, let's, so he, 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 he asks you that he brings you back. So you're, you're brought back to the house. What happens at that point? So I'm punished for trying to leave because the girl had told on me. The girl that I had asked to run away, she had told on me. And um, so to give you some some background on this that, that I was un, unaware of. So what happens is, is because we were considered like, we're called like red carpet hoes, we're high class escorts to have sex with with me for an hour would be $800 to $1,000. Well, our punishments would be to have to go work the track. The track is where you see the girls working on the streets. So, um, I was punished to have to go work the track and Shiva gave me a different kind of outfit. Now I do not look like an elegant high-class escort. I look like a, a street, a street prostitute. And the difference is we had a quota we had to make every single night and it's possible to make that quota when you're making 800 to a thousand dollars an hour. It's impossible to make that quota 
when at the most you can charge $60 for sex. And that's if somebody even has it because the, the demographic of the type of client you have is completely different. And so you're not going to be able to make that kind of money in that amount of time. It's humanly impossible. And Spider knew that. And that kind of demographic who's buying those kinds of girls treat those girls in a different way. And so you're, you're being put in a position to be okay with being the escort as opposed to being put on the track. So when I got put on the track, um, I really had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I, it was negotiating $25 for a blowjob, right? Um, when you would pay me 500 for, for just a blowjob being an escort. So when somebody offered me like $120 to get in his car and go back to his house, I did. And we get there. And I'm in his house and he says, let's go into the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom and there's a bathtub and he's putting ice in it. And then he asks me to get in the bathtub that's filled with ice. And there's this shower curtain that's pushed to the back. And I'm sitting in this ice, not being able to start, not being able to fill my body at this point. And I can hear him him walking. It sounds like he's pacing back and forth and he screams out, you know, yells out, Hey, do you want something to drink? And I said, no, I'm fine. And it's taking him a while. And I think he was needing to get drunk to do what he was about to do, but I didn't know this at the time. And he comes in the bathroom and he sets his foot up on top of like where the bathtub is. And before I know it, he's taking the shower curtain and he's trying to suffocate me and he's naked. And I, you know, go for the part that's actually in my face, which is his privates. And I'm scratching and clawing at him. And I mean, I'm clawing so bad that blood is like coming out. Like it's, it's on me. And I run out of the house naked into Spider's car, screaming. What did Spider do? Yeah. What the fuck happened? What the fuck happened? What the fuck happened? I don't know. I don't know. I'm so sorry. And I'm crying. He was trying to kill me. He was trying to kill me. And he just screamed at me the whole way home. He didn't go so, any, do, do anything to the John? Because I don't know. Later on, he would put us in situations to check us to make sure we were still like loyal to him and following the rules. So... I, I don't know if I just came into contact with some sort of prostitute serial killer or if he had set me up to where I needed him because I was screaming for him. I needed him and knowing how safe I felt once I got in his car. Yeah, and this this is, I'm telling you, the depths of which people go to to manipulate people over a period of time. By the time this incident happens, Natasha, how long has it been since you were kidnapped? I don't know. Um, I would be I would be calling my parents shortly after this, so it couldn't have been super long because my parents would have been like, "Why haven't you called?" So we're talking about just maybe a couple weeks as opposed to months. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so at this point, you know, I never want to work the track again. 
I don't ever want to get in trouble to that extent again. And so Nat- part of no, so Natasha's going to be a good girl now, right? You're going to be a good girl, do yeah. whatever Spider says, because yeah. you don't. You've seen what it's like to be on the other side, to work the track, and to be almost killed like that. So, yeah. you want the yeah. safety and security that now Spider provides, and the other lifestyle provides. Yes, and and the fact that you know, we would go and stalk my younger brother who was still in school. And we would stalk my family. We'd watch my mom walk out of her office building. Like he would have a gun and he would tell me, I will kill your family. And this is how easy it would be if you ever try and leave. And so, you know, there's, there's these three things I talk about that, um, these three steps traffickers take and they identify your vulnerability. They, they provide that vulnerability and they exploit that vulnerability. And spider had identified that mine was my family. So when he starts providing that, it's because that's my new family now, because I couldn't go home because I was trash. My family wouldn't want me because of the type of family I come from and the type of community I come from. They would not accept somebody like me because of the things that I have done now. And Again, on a side note, it's why people in uh, middle upper class, there's class, there's so much underreporting of of crime. We're worried about judgment, about yes, reputation, everything. So therefore, I believed that my family would not love me anymore, and um, then he was able to exploit that. Anytime that you know he saw me slipping, or I would talk about I'd like to go home, or gosh, anything about missing home. If the, you know, your family doesn't want you, you're trash, they don't love you anymore, that kind of stuff, then it would be going and following my family and showing me how easy it would be to kill them and it would be my fault. Which is another, a whole nother level of control. Um, You said though that you were going to get to call your family eventually. So, but tell us about the discussion to get back to not working the track anymore um, and going back to the escort so he screamed at me the whole way home, like lots of, lots of what the fuck just happened stuff. And I'm crying and I'm telling him this person tried to kill me. I'm like, he tried to kill me. And he's like, you have fucking blood all over you. And he was very, very grossed out. But I, you know, I, I'm naked in his car. And I'm like, I just like this guy tried to kill me. And, um, so we get back to the house and he's like, you need to get in the shower. You need to get yourself cleaned up. You're going to go, you're going to go back out to work with Shiva. So at that point I get cleaned up. Shiva gives me some clothes. I have, I have some weird, like broken blood vessels all over my face from not being able to breathe. So like my eyes had these like broken blood vessels and stuff like that. And, um, you know, spider was very like, you got to get that covered up. Like, so Shiva was putting makeup on me and stuff like that because, I'm, I'm all effed up because I had been suffocated. And so my, my, my face, like, like blood vessels were like, you know, bro, I had broken blood vessels in my eyes. I had them underneath my eyes. Um, so, uh, and I had markings, you know, all, all over me. And so she gets me cleaned up. And so from that point on, Shiva would be the one that I worked with as an escort and she drove, she drove her and I around that, that is what that became. She became my keeper. 
they were able to achieve that level of control because of the way Spider broke you down up into that point. And once once you worked the track and you never wanted to go back, then somebody like Shiva, who with your karate training and everything else, you could have taken probably if you wanted to. There just wasn't yes. that thought in your head anymore because it's like, no. I don't want to go back to that other's life. Well, yeah, like even if I could take Shiva out, right? Like what? And then he kills my family? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, it's not about me being able to get away. I could get away. I'll just jump out of the car. But if you do, in your mind, your family dies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was Shiva. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, go ahead. Was Shiva expected to earn money as well? Oh, yeah, she worked. Okay. She, she filled it all the calls and everything, and then she took appointments and worked as well. And, you know, the, the, the idea of, you know, we not only did things happen to us, like he would randomly accuse me of stealing money just so he could strangle me. And so you have, you, you just didn't ever know what to expect from him. And so you're constantly just like surviving. Like every decision you're making is a, is, has to be a calculated one because you don't know what that end result is going to, is going to be. So, you know, one time, we'll just call her Amy, Shiva dropped her off for an appointment, and um, then the client called Shiva back and was like, hey, Amy left, and she was like, that's, you know, that's impossible, and, um, and then the client's like, well, she took my phone and called somebody, and that person came and picked her up. The end result of that was Spider going to her house, beating her dad almost to death, and bringing Amy back. Or when one of the girls, she actually ran away, got away, went back to her place, and Spider was sitting in her, at her dining room table. Like, you will never escape him. He will find you. This is like something you see in a movie, in a horror movie. Now, with the movie, there's an ending. This thing is never ending at this point. I mean, this is, uh, you know, f first of all, Natasha, at this point, um, it it's like, uh, there's no way anybody could say, I know what it feels like. Nobody knows what it feels like. No. You know, it's like only you do. Uh, but I can only imagine, number one, but just, it's just, I'm sitting here thinking about it. It's like, the level of fear, it almost like after a while, the fear just fades away. And it's just like it, you accept this is like, this is the life. This is what has become oh, yeah. Absolutely. daily to me. I don't fear. The only thing I worry about anymore is what's going to piss spider off. Right. It's like, yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's why like the beatings would get less and less because the longer you're there, the more you go with it, right? Like I'm not resisting anymore. I'm like, you find an acceptance that this is the rest of your life. Like this, this is what I am going to die doing this. And as long as my family is safe, I'm, I'm fine. Hey everyone, that is the end of part one already. This is such a powerful story, but trust us, part two 
will blow you away with Natasha's story. So make sure you stay tuned for that dropping on Thursday. In the meantime, go visit us on the socials at Game of Crimes on Twitter at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Also visit our webpage, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We will put links to resources for human trafficking, survivors of it, how you can help, what you can do. So make sure you check out the webpage as well. So everybody, we're going to keep it just short and a light right now because we want to keep the focus on the story and keep the focus on the victim here, which is Natasha. So stay tuned for part two, and thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, and in this case, the game of crimes. 